that there have been, to record that I know, two Easter egg hunts in past Aprils where the parents, well, they canceled the Easter egg hunt because the parents were knocking over children, getting eggs for their own kids. <laughs> now I'm thinking, what in the world has happened? Well, I'll tell you what's happened. We want so much to help our kids get that advantage or that, you know, that break. And I'm thinking, but they're not learning. Yeah. They're getting the breaks. And then they expect a break from their boss at 25 and he's not clapping for them when they go into work, you know, on time. And <laughs> there's no trophy waiting for them. You know what I'm saying? That's Dr. Tim Elmore describing what we hope is an extreme example of a parenting mistake. And we'll see what you think on today's Focus on the Family with Jim Daly. I'm John Fuller, and there was some encouragement along the way, uh, some challenging words as well from our guest last time, Jim. Uh, there were, John, and uh, today we're going to continue to talk about Tim Elmore's book, 12 Huge Mistakes Parents Can't Avoid. And let me just say it this way. So often, uh, people will come to the end of the parenting journey, at least what they think is the end, at 18, 19, and say, I just wish I had a manual. I think this is the closest thing I've seen to that manual. Mm -hmm. What are, you know, 12 big mistakes you don't want to make, and it informs you not to make the other 24. And so, uh, <laughs> Tim, let me, with that introduction, say thank you for writing your book. Absolutely. Well, guys, I admire you as not only godly men, but as men who are intentional about the parenting. I think most of the parents listening are, as I mentioned before, very intentional. They want to do the right thing. But sometimes I think we just fall into a trap. Either we're exhausted by the end of the day, mm -hmm. and you're really saying, are you going to tuck them in or I'm going to tuck them in? You, you tuck them in. I tuck them in last night. Or we just go overboard. Actually, when I meet with students, I'm in front of about 50,000 students and faculty a year. Usually the mistakes fall into one or two extremes, abundance or abandonment. We did too much or we did too little. Um, and I think that's the fine line as a mentor parent we need to take. I did enough that you learned it, but I didn't too much, do too much that you you didn't actually get it yourself. You just mm. learned how to lean on me. Tim, let me ask you, that, that continuum diagram mm -hmm. that we talk about yeah. intrigues me because, again, I think as Christians, we struggle with it because we're trying to find this point on this continuum where perfection is found, yeah. where we'll meet Jesus. Mm. Yeah. And, and really yeah. what you're saying is just don't get into the extremes. Yes. Um, live yes. in that middle ground, much like Proverbs will talk mm -hmm. about. Yeah. Live in that middle ground where it's healthy. Yeah. Uh, don't lean too far this way or too far that way. Uh, talk about that, though. It, it, to me, it's more of a zone than it is a point on a continuum. Mm. It really is. It's organic. It's, it's, um, in fact, at the end of the book, 12 Huge Mistakes, I actually give a list of things I think you ought to do. And one of them is the whole idea of don't think impose, think expose. In the early years of your child's life, you need to impose a lot of rules and regulations. You know, don't touch the hot stove. That's a rule. But as they grow older, we've talked about this. You got to move into the expose, meaning rather than just saying, I got a gazillion rules, I'm going to expose you to some people I think you ought to meet, some opportunities you ought to experience. But I tell you what, I'm not going to force it. Uh, with, with my son, I remember saying, hey, I'm going to Chicago. You want to go with me? He goes, no, I'll just play video games. I'm fine. And so I thought, you know what? Rather than say, you're going, I left <laughs> and I had a great trip. And when I got back over dinner, oh my gosh, this Chicago trip. And I could tell he was getting a little jealous. I thought, this is great. Next time we had a trip, he said, hey, can I go? And I thought, now exposing his Now he's going because he wants to be, not because mm -hmm. he has to be. Mm -hmm. That's a huge difference as kids get older. It's an attitude shift that we need to make. And I think that's good. We try to impose so yeah. much. And <laughs> I think too. that is more typical. I yeah. mean, it's more typical of Gene and myself. I mean, that, yeah. I don't know, John, yeah. are oh, you in we, that? We've been there. Yeah. Yeah. You me. seem to be more mellow about it, though, as I well, observe you and Well, we've had longer to, to <laughs> practice. I mean, our oldest is in his mid-20s now. And so I think... 
I think yeah. I sort of feel like with Zane, he's he's about twelve. We have a redo, and I yeah. can be a little more mellow. Mm-hmm. But um, you haven't been in our home lately. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe and maybe we even just dinner. like last night, I was imposing, not exposing, <laughs> yeah. like I should. Well, have. and again, it's not one where the it's not right. a a flip of a light mm-hmm. switch; it's a dimmer switch. Yeah, and that's in where fact, you got to find that middle ground. Let me throw out a thought that may be so obvious to every listener; it's almost ridiculous, but. Our leadership style needs to change as they get older. You, you, I just thought that yeah. thought when you said your kids are growing up. Um, at early on, it's very much directive. But as they get to teens, if you're still leading them like you were when they were five, something's wrong. So we've got to make that, that transition. Yeah, and Tim, it might be, and I say this, correct me if you think I'm wrong. Okay. I'm wide open to that. But when you talk about that formula, mm-hmm. um, parents need to, to be cautious of formulas, mm-hmm. I think. Yes, yes. Because you uh, can have different outcomes with two different yeah. Children, yeah. I see that with my boys. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, I need to parent them differently mm-hmm. because they're uniquely made yes. in God's image, but they have different expression, yeah. extroversion, introversion, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, more analytical, less analytical, more social, those mm-hmm. kinds of things. Yeah. The, all those attributes bring a different parenting requirement, don't they? No doubt about it. In fact, I think that means we need to play chess, not checkers in our home. You huh. know, when you play checkers, every piece is alike. You play chess, you better know what each piece can do. It's actually one of our habitudes, our images that form leadership habits habitudes. and attitudes. You got to say that slowly. Okay. Yes, habitudes. habitudes. It's, it's actually a series that I started doing with my kids over, over dinner that we now are making available to schools. But every image represents a timeless principle, and chess and checkers is one of the principles. I think parents can Hmm. learn from it. When I play the game of chess, it's harder, but I know the bishop, I know the rook, I know the king, I know the queen. So in the 12 Mistakes book, I talk about the research behind there's three kinds of kids in our home or combinations thereof, drivers, diplomats, and dreamers. And depending on the makeup, we're going to have to lead them slightly differently. Huh. The driver child's that stubborn, strong-willed, they're going to take over the world one day and be either Mother Teresa or Adolf Hitler, one of the two, you know. So we need to be very clear and very direct. But if you're that direct with a diplomat, they're going to be in tears in five minutes because mm-hmm. you don't love me, you don't love me. So with a diplomat, you seek cooperation because they want harmony. And then with the dreamer child, they've got an imagination and a vision, and they're often misdiagnosed with ADHD too early sometimes. They're exhausting. Yes, they are. But you know what I, you know what I found? I, my son's a dreamer child. If I want him to go clean up his room, I need to say, Jonathan, your room, room needs to clean, be cleaned up. Here's five different options you can take. So he gets to use his creative juices, but he still gets to the same goal. But it's the leader that needs to change to get the follower where mm. they need to okay, go. Okay, somebody is thinking... How do you come up with five ways to clean your room? Well, yeah, yeah. That's, well, that took that took the chess in me, the chess player in me. Think, okay, it can be done by this. I know, and, there's only one way to clean it. That's to get in there and clean it. I do it now. Yeah. I just had that discussion this weekend. So, mm-hmm. that's well, funny. can I tell you something funny? The first time I learned this lesson with Jonathan, it was so funny because he's such a dreamer child. I said, Jonathan, I need you to clean up your room. I went in 30 minutes later. Not only was the room not cleaned up, there were four new construction sites going up in the room. And I, Dad, I had an idea, you know? <laughs> now, w- so, one of my boys I would describe, not one of those three, but what I would call the literalist. So okay. with, oh, yes. if we say to one of these children of ours, one of these lovely boys yeah. that God has given us, get in there, make sure all your clothes are off the floor. Yeah. They will literally go in there. <laughs> pick them up mm-hmm. and put them in a different place off the floor. Yeah, on the bed. Yeah. And they think yeah. they actually are genuine mm-hmm. in thinking they have met the requirement. Yeah. I call them the literalists. One day <laughs> I remember so this true. child, I said to him, 
uh, mom is missing some chocolates off yeah. of her plates for the mm-hmm. ladies' tea this afternoon. Yeah. Have you eaten all the chocolate? Yeah. And he said, no, I haven't eaten all the chocolate. <laughs> and then like 10 minutes later, I'm going, okay, the other one didn't eat it. Yeah. Mom didn't eat it. I didn't eat it. So I go back to the same child and say, did you eat some of the chocolate? Oh, yeah. I ate some of the chocolate. <laughs> but you never asked but, me. I mean, yeah. he was actually, yeah. he goes, but dad, you didn't ask me that. You asked me if I ate all the chocolate. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah. No, this but kid's going to so be an attorney. It, it's yeah, cute. that's right. And it's cute when they're younger, but when it's about 15, <laughs> yeah. 16, 17. It's annoying. <laughs> it's so true. Yeah. But let's talk. Uh, last time I said I yeah. wanted to bring the hammer down on me with consistency because mm, yeah. I travel a lot. And this is an area Gene yeah. will applaud mm-hmm. me for confessing. Yeah. You know, I can be the guy that I lay down the the boom, and then I'm yeah. saying a day later, okay, well, let's, you yeah. know, have you learned your lesson? Oh, of course, Dad, I've yeah, learned yeah, it. Absolutely. Now can I have it back? And I'll go, oh, yeah, okay, let's go for it. Yeah. It really irritates my wife. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Talk about that situation, what mm. I need to be careful of. Well, being inconsistent is one of the 12 mistakes I list in the book. I think the problem is, and let's just all... F- just admit, we, we're all guilty of this. We're human, and so we're not going to be perfectly consistent. But the more signals we send of inconsistency, it breeds insecurity in a child. Hmm. And I'm suggesting that's happening in your home. But if we're doing this too often, inconsistent, inconsistent, I'm getting mixed signals as hmm. a child, and I'm getting really unstable and insecure because I don't know, are you hard on me? Or I actually tell parents this all the time. I don't think it really matters a lot whether you're overly strict or unrelated. Just be consistent. Just be the same huh. so they know I know what the boss says is is what she means. Mm. And rather than, well, she'll say it, but I know. And you know what? I'll tell you where this shows up. Uh, you know, we start yelling, okay, you come in here right now. They're not in. Okay, in 30 seconds. Okay, in 45, you know, and now they're going, you don't mean a thing you're saying. Mm. And then finally we start yelling and now they get the message. Well, we're conditioning them to go, after the third time, I'll come in. And that's that's not going to help. How about the parent uh, that makes those declarations that are booming? Yes. I mean, you know, you've planned a <laughs> yes. trip to Disneyland yeah, and you're yeah. two weeks away and you need some leverage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Something's going downhill yeah. here. So you pull out of your arsenal. Listen, yeah. if you don't do this, yeah. then you are not going to Disneyland. Yeah. yeah. And then you walk out of the room and your spouse says, you know, that's not true. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Going, I know, right. but I need to motivate. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And, of course, then you're in trouble if yeah. the child says, yeah. I'm really not going to do it. Or yeah. they just choose not to do it. Yeah. Now you got a problem because mm-hmm. are you going to go to Disneyland? Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm not a fan of that. And, and I'm not saying it's always wrong. Sometimes it's leverage. But here's the problem. It's what you just said. If I'm not willing to follow through on every single condition or threat that I've made, I, they figured out. If not at 5, at 15. Mm-hmm. And so now they're going to play this game and often play a parent against another. And I, I just think that that hinders the whole process. So uh, last Christmas, I remember hearing about a family that said, we're going to cancel Christmas. I don't know if you read this. Uh, and what they meant was not cancel the celebration of birth of Christ. They still celebrated that. But they said no presents. And it was because of the behavior thing. The boys weren't doing what they wanted. Hmm. And and it was a very, when I read what they had done, I thought, that's a very appropriate, huge threat. Well, the boys didn't come through. They were interviewed later, and the parents said, we knew we had to follow through and be consistent. The media covered this, and the boys actually said, 
yeah, I probably should have done that. I, I realized. And what we decided to do was give the presents, Mom, to, to away to kids that really needed them. And I tell you what, we're, we're going to have Christmas next year. I'm going to make sure and get this right. And I thought, thank God it actually worked in this situation where the boys learned the lesson and the parents actually followed through mm-hmm. on the on the threat. And it made a memory for the it boys. It did. Yeah. They gave away. In fact, it, I think the mom said it was probably our best Christmas celebration we ever had because huh. none of them needed the the yeah. toys. None of them needed any. And they were going to get them from grandma anyway or at birthday in February, you know, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. So, Tim, let me ask you this. Um, another one that caught me was uh, we give kids what they should earn. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk mm-hmm. about that. We give kids what they should earn. Yeah. This one must sound harsh. And I can I just reaffirm something? <laughs> I love parents and I love children. And I don't think I've got this all figured out. However, too many cases, like when I say too many thousands of parents have, you know, given the iPhone, given the iPad, or given this or given that, as soon as a kid asks for it, we think to ourselves, well, I'm not a good parent if I haven't given it to them. Mm. We look at our neighbors. Well, they've all given them everything they've asked for. So we have a new report card today, and it's give your kid whatever they want. I was just talking to parents in a suburb of Nashville, Tennessee, very elite private school, and in a Q&A session, a dad actually raised his hand and said, so Dr. Elmore, you're telling me I actually shouldn't give my daughter everything she's asking for, everything she wants? Mm. I thought, bingo, that's exactly what I'd say. But what dawned on me, <laughs> mm. he didn't know that. This didn't dawn on him. Yeah, it was an innocent question. Yes, because the parents of today very often, not all the time, have a new report card. We, we're not good parents unless we give them everything we want. So let me give you a real quick case study that I think is a brilliant example of this. I have a dear friend who, had, who has a son named Nick. And uh, years ago, Nick had one of this new iPod. I think he was 12 years old. Well, this iPod was this newest Apple release that was a special edition. And Nick said, Dad, if we don't get this today, they're going to be all out. Well, David said, my friend said, Nick, how much money do you have? I don't have any money, Dad, but we got to get it today. So David told me, he said, Tim, I was tempted to just buy it for him Mm because I had the money. But he said, I also knew Nick would not learn what he needed to learn, that everything just doesn't come automatically. So here's what David did. He bought the iPod, and then he said, now, Nick, I bought this iPod. I secured it for our family and for you later. But I'm going to put it very high up in my closet, and you're going to make monthly payments for the next 10 months until hmm. and they worked out a deal. And Nick kind of was wondering at first, because layaway had never occurred to him, you know. But um, what happened was beautiful. He said, you never saw a kid make more you know, prompt payments. Motivated. Yeah, more motivated. So there was one, ambition and motivation. And David secured it. So he, we didn't miss our chance. And he said he was so appreciative in 10 months when he, I pulled that down and handed it to him. But I didn't just give it to him. He, he earned it. Hmm. Now, we've been – that's an area that I think Gene and I have really hmm. – uh, that's an, one area we've done yeah, well at. Yeah. Kids have basically bought all their big-ticket items wow, outside of Christmas. Good. And yeah. it's been good to see them motivated. Yeah. We haven't done the layaway. We just said, yeah, yeah. You, can, you can get that yeah. when you can buy it. Yeah. We're not buying it for you. Yeah. But it's made them very aware of saving. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think the first thing that uh, Trent bought was the Death Star Lego Death Star. Mm. And uh, so he saved money for about mm. two years. Wow. To uh, buy wow, that. Wow, that's, so, that's gigantic. Two yeah. years is a long time to wait. It is. Yeah. Uh, John, for those that might just be tuning in, I said at the top of the program that this is often said by parents who get to the end of the road and they say, I just wish I could do it over again or I had mm-hmm. a manual. This is one of the closest things you're going to find to a good parenting manual, the 12 huge mistakes parents can avoid. Um, you know, this is what you want to read in order to avoid those traps. And mm-hmm. I think it will also... 
by inference, give you another 24 you don't want to fall into. <laughs> um, one of the ones, Tim, that caught me again, it was number six in your list. We lie about our child's potential. Mm. Ouch. Yeah. I read that and I went, okay, this is getting raw. Yeah. We often do. You can be anything. I have used those yeah. very yes. words. Yes. But yeah. you're right. We're not real about limitations. How does that harm a child's expectations? Well, I think it harms very little when they're extremely young because we, we need to affirm that we want them to feel good about mama and daddy's love. But I don't think it works at 12. I know a little league baseball player that gave the trophy back to his dad and said, this doesn't mean anything. And it's because it's just been handed to him. Everybody got a trophy. Everybody got a ribbon. Oh, so he, mm-hmm. he reacted to that. He reacted. So he was old enough. So these kids are not dumb. I'm just wondering if we are sometimes. <laughs> so let me address this um, Carol Dweck is a Stanford psychologist that I cite in the book, and she began to see that we're, we're doing this far too often, and she did a study on affirmation with children. They took two groups of 10-year-old children in the fifth grade, and they gave them both a fifth-grade level test, an appropriate test. At the end of the test, the first group was told, you must be smart. The second group was told, you must have really tried hard. Notice it was about effort, not you're awesome. When a second round of tests were given, it was a seventh grade level test, a little bit tougher. And they said, this is harder. You don't have to take it. Do you want to? Almost none of the kids in the first group that had just been told you're smart wanted to take the test. Hmm. It's almost like, I th- I'm going to stop right here with I'm awesome, you know, and not going to test it again. And I have a sneaking suspicion that I'm nearly not that smart. Almost every kid in the second group actually wanted to take the test, the ones that had been affirmed for effort. Huh. And Carol said, even though none of them did well because it was seventh grade level test, she said, we continue to hear them whisper under their breath as they took the test. This is my favorite test. I love this test. They love the challenge of it. Huh. When a final round of tests were given, fifth grade level test, the kids in the first group actually did 30% worse. And when they actually did the the focus groups afterwards, Dr. Dweck said this. She said, the kids were basically saying, well, if I'm so smart, I shouldn't have to try so hard. So the affirmation backfired when we weren't truthful. We just said, you're awesome. You're amazing. You're gifted. You're talented. Well, of course, we want them to feel that way. But we also need to be honest. You're not the next American Idol. You will not be, you know. And so I think that effort thing, rather than the you're just amazing is far better to mm. affirm. You got to be really careful with that, yeah. Because you could limit a child that is a late bloomer. That's exactly and right. So you got to be yeah. so careful if they're not achieving at 12, 13, 14. Uh, look at Einstein. Yeah. I mean, what an example. Yeah. The, the child Einstein Absolutely. basically flunked out of school. Absolutely. I mean, if his mom and dad may have blown it right there. No, you're spot on. And so I'm glad you said that. So, what Carol Dweck's conclusions were affirm variables that are in their control. Late bloomer, early bloomer. So you say, I love the strategy you used on that math problem. Mm. I loved how honest you were with your friends today. I love, so you're affirming everything you can. In fact, be, be liberal with your affirmation, but make it truthful. Mm. And so they're continuing to know, well, effort's in my control. Honesty's in my control. I can keep doing that. What gets rewarded gets repeated. So I think we just need to be careful to keep affirming and fan into flame that late bloomer that may show his gift at 30. Right. Tim, um, we've talked a lot about the practical aspects of parenting, Mm -hmm. the 12 huge mistakes parents can avoid. I I really need and want to bring the spiritual dimension into this program. Um, What do we need to be aware of um, to help our child develop spiritually? Good. It's a great question. I hope I have a decent answer, Jim. At Growing Leaders, our organization, we make it our aim 
to continue to exegete this emerging generation so parents and teachers can understand who they are, these digital kids, you know, who are on a touchscreen now. So um, here's some of our research. These kids are very experiential. So simply going to a Bible study may or may not work. Um, you and I love Bible studies, but they may need a service project. Let's get up and go and do something. Right. And maybe their walk with God's not completely together yet, but boy, doing something in Mexico that's helping to build an orphanage. I can use my hands, mm. whoever I am. But now my heart's leaning in toward this, you know, the, this project. So experiential, they're very participatory, meaning they want to own what's happening. Uh, they want to, this kids, many of these kids have been weighing in and where the family goes on vacation since they were five years old. They can hardly watch a reality TV show without voting on who stays on the show. So we need to give them ownership. Our mm-hmm. family's different because you're in it, and you're going to help get to guide where we go. Um, they're image-rich. They grew up on, I call them screenagers. You know, they're, they're, <laughs> they've just grown up with screen. So we need to have metaphors, not just didactic lectures and talks that we give to them. Lecture number 43. So the habitudes I mentioned earlier, habitudes are images that form leadership habits and attitudes. Here's an iceberg that talks to us about character. Here's rivers and floods that talk to us about focus. Um, And then the last one I would give you, they're connected. We know this. They're connected socially as well as technologically. We need to give them times with peers where they can connect with each other and think out loud. And yeah, they'll come up with some bonehead ideas. We did too when we were growing up. But just the chance to connect. And let the learning be owned because of the connection. Yeah. It wasn't just us downloading in a class or a, a home. Uh, Tim, that is really good. The uh, The other aspect of the book, and we're running out of time, yeah. man, John, this time has flown by. Mm. You talk about the owl and the ostrich. Mm-hmm. Um, I found that very insightful as a parenting analogy. Mm-hmm. Explain what you were getting at. Yeah. Well, because we tend to want to be perfect parents and control everything, the two birds, the owl and the ostrich, I think are great metaphors. First of all, the ostrich typically has been, you know, the proverbial bird that sticks his head in the sand yeah. and I don't want to know, I don't want to know, I don't want to know. It's nobody's national bird, let's yeah. put it that way. <laughs> I think you're right about yeah. that. So too often, because we just don't know what to do, we're just throwing our hands up. Mm. We, we stick our heads in the sand and we don't know what our kids are up to. Mm. On the other hand, the owl is this wise bird that can 360 degrees look all the way around, does its best work in darkness, not light, and can see well. So I think we need to be observing and we need to be up to date on what our kids... That doesn't mean controlling. It just means I'm understanding. Connection, not control is my aim. Mm. But I think that owl is just a great metaphor of I need to be watchful, do my best work at night, and... uh, and be looking all around to see what's really going on. Mm-hmm. How about the tension that can be in a home uh, around discipline issues? You know, getting yeah. your homework done, yep. Yep. cleaning up. Um, you know, you've, it's been a fight forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how do you finally bury the hatchet and actually yeah. <laughs> hand it over to your 15-year-old and say, it's yours now? Yeah. You, well, you're not responding. Here's a thought, and, and it's worked in our home. Maybe it will work in others. Um, in our, uh, here, it's a shift we need to make. Don't think rules... Think equations. Here's the difference. We talked earlier about how we all have rules, and we need rules, especially early on. But by the time they reach adolescence, no no kid wants another rule. But equations, that's what life's made of. Equations are basically, if you do that, this is the benefit. If you do this, that's the consequence. Mm. And then when they choose a wrong thing about homework or whatever, you go, ah, 
you really made a bad equation there, didn't you, Bob? You know, or Todd or Jessica or whatever. And you're able to um, say, you don't have to rant and rave. You don't even have to lift your voice. You, and then they start realizing life is full of equations. And you would agree, wouldn't you? Don't pay your mortgage payment, bad equation. You know, right. something comes down. So I think parents need to be thinking, what are some equations we can talk through where we up front say it and then they know it. And then when they choose wrong, we say, oh, there's a penalty for that equation and there's mm. a consequence to pay. Tim, it has been terrific to have you with us. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. And thanks as well, Tim, for being so candid about your own mistakes as a dad. I think it helps us to know that there's nobody perfect out there, but we can become better parents. And uh, you've given us a great place to start. Our program was provided by Focus on the Family. And on behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for listening. I'm John Fuller. It was so great to listen to the advice of Tim Elmore as he talked about those common mistakes in our parenting that we need to avoid. I must say the advice to stay consistent with our children is certainly valuable. I know that in our home, we do try to make sure that we remain consistent with our girls so that they know what they can expect, but it is hard. I also felt quite challenged when the subject of idle threats came up. This is another area that's so easy to get wrong. I hope, like me, you've been encouraged and are feeling equipped in your parenting. We have so much more equipping content on our website, and so I encourage you to visit safamily.co.za. You'll find our recommended resource by Kevin Lehman called Have a New Kid by Friday. You'll also find a range of articles and video series, as well as broadcasts, including this one, if you'd like to listen again or share with a friend. We also have our parenting assessment online, which is a quick and easy tool to help you discover your unique strengths, as well as some of the areas that could use a little help. So please stop by safamily.co.za or feel free to give us a call on 031-716-3300. I'm Alison Schnell for Focus on the Family Africa, inviting you back next time when we'll once again help you and your family thrive in Christ.